North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Good morning to everyone in D.C., good evening to everyone in Korea, good day to everyone else around the world. Welcome to the 41st, 41st installment of the CSIS Capital Cable. I'm Mark Lippert, your host and moderator. This week on the Capital Cable, our second installment on the Korean presidential race, which looms large and is nearly concluded. And with us, a very special guest an old friend of CSIS, highly respected academic and policymaker, professor and former vice foreign minister, Kim Sung Han, who currently serves as foreign policy advisor to the People Power Party presidential candidate, Yoon Suk-yeol. With that, let's go through his remarkable biography. Professor Kim is a professor, of course, at the Graduate School of International Studies and Division of International Studies at Korea University. Professor Kim served as Vice Foreign Minister of Foreign Affairs Trade uh, at MOFAT in 2012-2013. He was a professor from 1994 to 2007 at the Institute of Foreign Affairs and National Security, a Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And he served at numerous presidential commissions, councils, and committees related to foreign affairs and national security issues, including after the North Korean military attack to the Chonin Naval Corvette, he served as a member of the presidential commission on the national security review, and also the presidential candidate for defense, presidential commission rather, for defense reform. He received a PhD in political science from the University of Texas at Austin, go Longhorns. And welcome to the show, Professor. Really impressive bio and great to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you. All right. Excellent. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll ask you for some predictions on, on the Texas football team uh, next year, <laughs> not the presidential. Anyway, all right. Uh, our good friend Jim Steinberg, obviously, was dean down there as well. So, oh, yeah. That's right. Yes. All right. So let's turn to our usual panelists. First, Dr. Sumi Terry, director of the Hyundai Motor Korea Foundation Center for Korean History and Public Policy former CSIS for, uh, senior fellow, former NSC, former CIA, Columbia University. Welcome back, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. I'm now here at new uh, studio of CSIS. Looks pretty amazing. So glad to be here. And welcome, Professor Kim. Excellent. Yeah, and, and in person, we love the in-person piece of this. Um, all right, last but certainly not least, Dr. Victor Chaw, Vice Dean at Georgetown, former Bush NSC, Korea chair at CSIS, owns the place. Welcome back, Victor. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be here with Sue in the studio, and it's good to have uh, Professor Kim with us. Absolutely. Real treat. Uh, Professor Kim, thanks again for coming. <clears throat> we got a great uh, show here, so let's dive into it, as they say, <clears throat> and let's get to the first topic, North Korea. 
last few weeks, last few months even, uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of activity on the issue, including missile launches, U.S. Treasury sanctions, and now a trilateral meeting between the U.S., ROK, and Japan on the North Korea uh, situation. Um, accordingly, uh, Professor, um, tell us where we are on, on North Korea, given your expertise, your history, Vice Foreign Minister, Professor, just give us some broad uh, strokes on this, uh, where we are and what should we take. And I, I should also uh, essentially point out and not, not ask you for specific comment, but maybe set up Victor and Sue later. CSIS also had some satellite imagery reporting earlier this week about a North Korean missile operating in a base just 15 miles away from the Chinese border, an undeclared base that reportedly can house ICBMs. Uh, Victor, I wanted to set that up and just get that in there at the beginning, but Dr. Kim, broad strokes, uh, North Korea policy, where are we? The floor is yours. And again, a warm welcome from the Capitol <laughs> table. Okay, thank you for asking that uh, kind of a, a broad question. Uh, as you may agree, uh, we are going through, uh, again, a very important kind of a, a moment uh, in the sense that North Korea appears to sending a very uh, critical message that they are uh, on the verge of uh, breaking the moratorium Right. Uh, for the uh, past, you know, several years, North Korea has suspended uh, the nuclear as well as uh, ICBM tests. So, but uh, they are uh, threatening to uh, resume those tests. Uh, but the problem is uh, North Korea's conditions, uh, which refer to uh, elimination of uh, so-called uh, double standards. Uh, why North Korea's nuclear uh, or missile test is is uh, particularly missile test is the violation uh, of U.S. Security uh, Council sanctions, while South Korea's uh, missile test is is for deterrence, and also North Korea is de demanding for the termination of uh, the the hostile policy uh, on the United States uh, against uh, North Korea. So those conditions are uh, hard to be met. And, and uh, nevertheless, North Korea is uh, still resisting uh, our demand uh, to come back to the negotiating table without any conditions. But North Korea uh, still maintains uh, its recalcitrant kind of a position that those conditions should be met. Otherwise, North Korea will continue to uh, provoke uh, the U.S. Security Council resolutions uh, so in that sense, we are going through a very important uh, moment uh, at this juncture. So, Professor Kim, just if I may, one quick follow up. What should we think about in terms of next steps as the USROK alliance? You mentioned we've got this fraying moratorium. The, mm -hmm. the program each and every day grows, as some always point out, that every day there's a violation of UN security sanctions, uh, UN Security Council sanctions, rather, by the North Koreans. <clears throat> and we've got preconditions uh, in terms of uh, coming to the table uh, by Pyongyang. Mm. Where, where should we uh, vector our energies as an alliance? I, there's talk of an end of war declaration, uh, I think by the current government and Washington as a possible step. Others, I think, argue more deterrence, sharpen the choices. Uh, wh what, what is your advice uh, for the uh, policy uh, makers in Washington and Seoul on next steps? First of all, we need to uh, strengthen uh, our uh, deterrence uh, posture uh, in light of uh, rapidly uh, upgrading uh, 
the, the North Korean uh, nuclear missile capability. Uh, so that is number one uh, issue uh, for both of us. Uh, and uh, secondly, uh, we need to uh, reinforce uh, the implementation of uh, UN Security Council resolutions uh, of sanctions on North Korea. Uh, and thirdly, uh, we need to uh, strengthen uh, trilateral cooperation uh, you know, among uh, three of us, including Japan. Uh, that is at the very basis uh, for uh, you know, ROK, uh, US alliance uh, to focus on uh, otherwise, uh, North Korea will be highly tempted uh, to drive a wedge uh, between Seoul and Washington. And also, uh, North Korea uh, will be uh, highly tempted to rely on a so-called brinkmanship strategy, uh, as we had witnessed uh, in uh, the year of uh, 2017. Uh, a final, final uh, follow-up to you, because this is a really interesting line of uh, questioning. You're, you're, you're provoking more, more thoughts in my uh, early morning t yet tired head here. But uh, uh, so, in terms of uh, next steps, in terms of getting the North Koreans back to the table, do you see uh, anything that might bring them back anytime soon and get into a, a credible negotiation here, or do you think we are? Uh, in a situation where we're going to have to do some of the steps you say, Security Council resolution enforcement, stronger deterrence uh, among the, the, the three capitals, Seoul, Tokyo, and Washington, and it won't, and, and we're unlikely to see anything in, on the negotiating front in this, in this, uh, in the, in this uh, short period ahead. What is, do you have any, um, I guess, uh, optimism that we can get back uh, to negotiations here anytime soon with uh, Pyongyang? Uh, I'm afraid not. Uh, North Korea uh, doesn't appear to be interested in uh, returning uh, to the negotiating table uh, unless uh, we meet uh, their uh, kind of a, uh, prior conditions, as uh, I you know already uh, pointed out. So in that sense, uh, uh, North Korea appears to be waiting uh, for the timing when uh, kind of a new uh, government comes in uh, coming May in uh, South Korea, then uh, they will uh, think about how things uh, will be unfolded, how uh, you know, Seoul and Washington will be orchestrating uh, their policies vis-a-vis uh, -vis North Korea. Uh, for the time being, uh, North Korea uh, you know, is likely to uh, you know, maintain a very a strong kind of a, a posture by conducting, you know, uh, you know the, the strategic provocations uh, as they had planned. So uh, that is uh, far uh, from uh, being optimistic uh, about, you know, the immediate future. Gotcha. Thanks, uh, Professor, for those insights. So I'm going to turn to Victor. I'm going to give you a little break here, Professor. You, you, uh, we peppered you with questions. Victor, um, your thoughts on this basket of issues. One, the imagery piece and what that suggests. Uh, and two, the broader uh, framework and policy direction. Victor, the floor is yours. Sure, thanks. Uh, thanks, uh, Mark. Um, and so, and before we, we pull up the imagery, I just want to say to you know, Kim Sung-han, I've known him for, I don't know, decades now. 
I think we first met when we were sort of junior professors at a conference at the IFANS uh, many, yes. many years ago. And the thing that's extraordinary about him is that he never grows old. He looks exactly the same as he did like over two decades ago. Meanwhile, the rest of us are aging by leaps, by leaps and bounds. Um, but, so it's, but it's great to have him on the show. So let me just say quickly on the imagery, um, if uh, we can pull it up. So this, um, uh, Sangan, of course, I don't expect you to comment on this, but this was a study that CSIS, CSIS did, and we uh, released it this week that showed what we suspect to be an ICBM base at, uh, located at Huajungni, um, and it, which is only 15 miles from the border with China. And um, uh, it's been, in, it's in, been in development for a while, uh, um, but this is really the first uh, identification of it based on the construction here. In particular, in this picture, um, we're showing uh, one of the underground facilities, one of the UGFs, um, quite large facilities that certainly portend uh, storage of ICBMs, if not, if not ICBMs and IRBMs. But then this just goes all to speak to um, the question that Mark raised of Sangan and uh, 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 Professor Kim's response, which is that this problem is not going away anytime soon. Uh, as Kim Sung-han said, he expects that um, North Korea will continue as planned, uh, which is, I think, uh, a campaign that we're going to see, you know, through the South Korean presidential election uh, to put more pressure on the incoming president of South Korea, regardless of who wins. Uh, I think this is something that we're going to see uh, going forward. Um, uh, as, you, as both of you mentioned, the fraying moratorium is pretty apparent with the, uh, the large number. I think it was 11 missile launches, seven missile events, 11 missile launches in January, the most that we've seen in a single month. Um, and the thing, you know, the thing about this that really just irks me is that all of this is done under the pretext of North Korea wanting the U.S to stop its hostile policy, U.S. and South Korea to stop its hostile policy. But North Korea is firing 11 missiles. Like, they have to stop their hostile policy um, if we're going to come back to the negotiating table. Um, but I think in the, in the end, the, the point about trilateralism is quite important, and it's good to hear Professor Kim talking about that because, especially from a South Korean perspective, if you look at things, you know, their relationship with China is not very good, and what China did during the Olympics has really upset the South Korean people a great deal. Uh, you know, Russia has been more aggressive, you know, even with incursions uh, in the sky into South Korean territory. Um, they, a relationship with Japan, a bad relationship with Japan is just really not needed right now, um, you know, given what's happening with North Korea, what's happening with China, and what's happening with Russia. And so, it makes very logical sense that uh, in addressing this immediate issue that there be better uh, trilateralism. So it's really good to hear that from uh, Professor Kim. All right, thanks, Victor. Uh, as always, uh, really uh, good insights. Uh, and I would just point out that we had uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary Lambert on of, of uh, the United States State Department uh, last episode, and he talked about optimism in the trilateral relationship going forward. So uh, just, to, just to remind our viewers of that uh, uh, comment from the Department of State. Sue, over to you. Uh, lots to unpack here. Uh, and I think just <clears throat> the floor is yours to grab on to any one of these threads. Um, I'm interested in your take on 
this this imagery and also the framework, as well as comments on both uh, Professor Kim and uh, Professor Cha's uh, opening uh, interventions. Thanks. Um, so I also met Professor Kim decades ago. I don't know if you remember, but um, when I just joined the government, uh, I went out to Korea to meet with scholars to just sort of get, you know, pick their brains. And Professor Kim was the first person I met with to get an understanding of what's going on in North Korea and, you know, to learn from him. And I still learn from him. And I agree with almost everything he said, everything he said this morning. So I, I, I really appreciate Professor Kim and his knowledge and experience and wisdom. Um, I want to get to the imagery piece and then we'll talk about North Korea. I do want to, you know, applaud CSIS team here, Victor and Joel Bormides, and I think Jennifer wrote this piece. I mean, I don't think people understand the value of sort of the open source re reporting really confirming, you know, existence of this kind of undeclared um, ICBM base, right? Um, so this is one of 20 undeclared um, bases, right? Um, I see, uh, the missile bases, and you know this. I think we're later we'll see like this. This really adds to the point of how difficult it will be to really later when we ever get to that stage of monitoring and verification. But I do want to um, applaud their effort. I think this everybody should check that out. Um, it didn't come up yet, but I read um, Candidate Yoon's um, foreign affairs piece, which was really a very very interesting and pretty tough language. Um, also in North Korea, I noticed uh, in that piece they talk about the goal, how the goal should be still denuclearization, but denuclearization of North Korea, right? Not denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula that we've been uh, we heard. And I, I saw that at least in two places, so I'm sure it was very deliberate effort, and I'm sure North Koreans are not happy about this, but that shows where I think candidate unit is going to go with uh, North Korea piece. Um, I do agree that North Korea uh, will, Kim is on a path here. He's going to only accelerate this pace, and we are going to get to escalatory phase, more of escalatory phase. It doesn't matter who becomes next president uh, in South Korea. When you looked at Park Geun-hye, I think it was like two weeks before Park, President Park Geun-hye came into office, that was North Korea's third nuclear test, uh, first under Kim Jong-un. Uh, you know, Moon Jae-in, uh, there was special year in 2017, uh, you know, intermediate range, and then we saw ICBM test a couple months after. So um, it doesn't matter who wins. He, North Korea will also want to send a message to incoming administration in South Korea and continue to send a message to the Biden administration, and they are going to continue their effort to diversify their, their missile arsenal to, to uh, you know, to defeat our missile defense system. So we are on going on this path and we're not gonna, so I think the one thing that we need to do, and I think Professor Kim is absolutely right, um, we need to be in lockstep with each other. So trilateral coordination, but also between Seoul and Washington, we, we need to talk in advance about what we are going to do and we need to be in lockstep with each other. And we know this is going to happen. So just need to be prepared for it. Okay, thanks Sue, excellent. Um, I want to move on to another subject, but before we do, uh, Professor Kim, since uh, Sue uh, raised the foreign affairs piece and uh, had some comments around uh, the candidate's position, uh, just a final word from you on, on this basket of issues. Okay, uh, thank you for uh, introducing uh, foreign affairs piece, uh, you know, written by uh, candidate Yoon. I think a key words included in that piece, uh, I would say, uh, principled uh, engagement vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, North Korea. Uh, 
and uh, stronger uh, rock U.S. Uh, uh, you know, comprehensive strategic alliance, and uh, you know, more uh, you know, brilliant co uh, coordination uh, among uh, Seoul, Washington, and and Tokyo, and also he emphasized uh, so-called economic security. Uh, now we are witnessing a very uh, volatile kind of a, a situation in which. Uh, supply chains uh, are changing uh, in light of uh, intensifying uh, U.S.-China uh, strategic uh, rivalry. Uh, against this backdrop, uh, he is his vision is uh, to make uh, South Korea a global pivotal uh, state, uh, which means uh, Korea uh, goes beyond the Korean Peninsula and also pay a lot of attention to Indo-Pacific. Uh, affairs, uh, particularly uh, how uh, South Korea can contribute to the U.S. Uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. And also, um, uh, we think of uh, how Korea can uh, contribute to uh, the global uh, commons or kind of a global common things uh, or a common good uh, for the international community. So that is what uh, global peopleful uh, state uh, is, is for. So that is a quick summary. And uh, regarding the, 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 the satellite uh, imagery, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if North Korea conducts uh, another kind of a ICBM test uh, on April 11 or April 15. April 11 is the 10th anniversary of the uh, Kim Jong-un regime and April 15 is the, the, the birthday of uh, the, his grandfather, Kim Il-sung. Uh, to put pressure on the United States in particular. So I think uh, we uh, need to be very careful uh, so that uh, we are not going uh, to be, uh, you know, played uh, by uh, the North Korea uh, for the sake of uh, our own uh, security. All right. Thanks, Professor Kim. Let's uh Let's end or close out our North Korea discussion, but let's stay on uh, your la your your previous your your first set of comments rather on uh, Korea as a uh, pivotal uh, state. Uh, your comments about the global commons, uh, Indo-Pacific, and let me turn to uh, Victor quickly. I'm going to go probably Victor soon, then back to you, Professor Kim. Victor, your thoughts on. Uh, the foreign affairs piece and your thoughts on uh, Professor Kim's intervention on the concepts I just outlined. Um, so I, I like the foreign affairs piece very much. I'm glad Sue brought it up and, and highlighted it. Um, uh, it's um, uh, as I've written, I think that this election is actually qu has uh, quite large consequences for U.S. foreign policy um, because there, uh, I think, are you know, shades of difference between how the two candidates think about foreign policy. And so to see it so clearly laid out by uh, candidate Yun in, you know, a well-known mainstream U.S. foreign policy magazine is, is important uh, to frame for, for a U.S. audience. Um, the notion of Korea as a global pivot player, you know, this is something that we have argued at CSIS for quite some time. John Henry has argued it for quite some time that CSIS is not a, it's not a middle power. It's actually a global player. And especially because of the, um, this new variable of economic security and supply chain resilience that the United States 
and, and candidate Yun have put a lot of um, priority on, um, this makes career absolutely critical, as Mark, as you know well, on all sorts of issues, in particular when it comes to things like um, semiconductor chips and global health. Um, Korea has really become a global player and an integral part of this notion of a broader resilient supply chain of trusted partners around the world. So this is all, I mean, this is all, I think, music to the ears, I'm sure, of the Biden administration, uh, uh, of the Biden administration going forward. All right. Thanks, Victor. Uh, yeah, you keep mentioning my new frontier speech. It uh, seems to be getting better with age. It's like a nice bottle of it's wine. Like a, so that's, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like a good <laughs> bottle of wine. It keeps it keeps uh, it resonates and it just stays with you as the years go on. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it's uh, early in the morning. Otherwise, uh, we'd have to break it open anyway. Uh, Sue, uh, your thoughts here uh, on Professor Kim and Professor Cha's uh, interventions. Well, Professor Cha keeps taking my talking points, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I agree. Um, you know, South Korea, global power, or sometimes we call it high-end middle power, um, also increasing soft power, right? Uh, we've seen tremendous increase in soft power. It has a democratic credentials, it's economic powerhouse. It needs to, I really like the, the piece talking about how it needs to go be expanded, right? Beyond also very, um, such a focus on the inter-Korea piece to become that regional and global player. And I thought also the, the piece was pretty tough on China, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what China's uh, view will be on this. But, you know, staying principled and offering, uh, they will offer opportunity really to telegraph strength, right? And I think that will also work out in the long run uh, for South Korea's China policy too, to have some spine um, and have a principled approach uh, to things. But I really like the piece about expanding the scope beyond um, the, the North Korea piece, because I always thought South Korea needed to do more of that. Like I was always frustrated about um, it's you know so, so so much hanging on to North Korea piece when there's no movement at all when there's so much uh, that Korea can do. And I think there is also talking about I don't know if the piece talked about it, but like. ODA, uh, like for example, overseas development assistance. Um, I think the piece talked about that. I, I think that's where South Korea can certainly do more. So overall, I thought, you know, I, I, I agree with Victor that I, I think the Biden administration is going to, there's nothing to dislike uh, about everything that has said, uh, that was said in that piece. Okay, Professor Kim, your, your comments on this, on these uh, two, two interventions, and then I'm gonna move to uh, another topic. Yeah, actually, uh, thanks uh, for those uh, compliments <laughs> on that particular piece. Uh, that uh, was uh, candidate Yun's uh, intention uh, because uh, uh, for the past several years, uh, we didn't show uh, the position of South Korea uh, with respect to, for example, the U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy and uh, what is uh, real kind of uh, uh, intention and, and uh, commitment, uh, you know, with respect to the future of uh, ROC-US alliance uh, and uh, what is the real policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis China. Uh, but actually, uh, in the name of uh, strategic ambiguity, uh, the Moon uh, government uh, has, if I may, tilted uh, toward China uh, although they are saying all kinds of good things about uh, the, the vision uh, and, and 
and the future of Iraq-U.S. alliance. If you look at uh, the May joint statement of last year, uh, right after uh, the summit meeting between President Moon and President Biden, it actually includes uh, all you know good things uh, we have to implement as soon as possible, uh, rather than you know preserving as they are as as a, a document or paper. Uh, this is a good roadmap uh, for our alliance uh, to take uh, as soon as possible, rather than uh, waiting until uh, a new government comes in uh, in South Korea. So uh, that is uh, the point I want to emphasize at this moment. Okay, thanks, Professor Kim. And you, I'll just make one comment here. I, I do think that the joint statement is a very, very uh, solid document, good foundation, good roadmap, if, if you will. I think President Moon and President Biden did a really nice job on that. And you could also feel um, that there were things sort of pent up from the preceding uh, several years, in, in, in the, on the, at least from the United States side, um, that there wasn't a lot of alliance management and, and that uh, I think there was a very, um, it was very opportunistic by the two sides to, to put that roadmap out. Okay, so that's my comment there. Uh, let's lift and shift, but you set up this uh, next section well. Uh, you mentioned it uh, already, US-ROC Alliance. Let's take it on more directly um, in terms of uh, where we are. Uh, let's just give uh, a frank appraisal. We've talked a little bit about the joint statement, pretty interesting roadmap. We've talked about some good things, I think, in the last year between President Biden and President Moon. Uh, where are we? Where are we headed and where should we, what, what more should we be doing? Uh, Professor Kim, the floor is yours. Well, <clears throat> um, we need to uh, uh, envision uh, our alliance again. Uh, that is a uh, comprehensive strategic alliance, which means uh, we need to uh, go beyond uh, the military alliance. That doesn't mean a military alliance is not uh, uh, important. Uh, that is the, the key uh, pillar of our alliance. But uh, there are many areas uh, we can explore uh, for the future, uh, so-called uh, non-traditional uh, security areas, as Victor has already pointed out, right? Uh, so that is the area uh, we can uh, move on uh, as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, the real threat uh, is undoubtedly uh, the North Korean uh, nuclear missile threat. So uh, many uh, South Korean people uh, are a little bit suspicious about uh, the credibility of uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, nuclear umbrella. So in that sense, uh, candidate Yoon has emphasized, has pledged uh, to strengthen uh, our consultation uh, mechanism uh, for extended uh, deterrence, uh, you know, uh, rather than shifting uh, our gear uh, to uphold uh, other options, uh, such as uh, you know, South Korea's uh, uh, nuclear armament or redeployment of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, tactical nuclear weapons back to uh, South Korea, uh, rather than uh, considering those options, uh, we need to strengthen our deterrence uh, mechanism, uh, including uh, the nuclear umbrella. Uh, more precisely speaking, uh, extended deterrence consists of three elements, right? Nuclear umbrella, uh, missile defense, and uh, really, uh, you know, top uh, conventional uh, military capabilities. So we need to focus on uh, three of them uh, altogether. 
Uh, that's the first job. And at the same time, we need to uh, be ready to implement uh, the, all those kind of uh, commitments we uh, agreed on uh, through the joint statement of last May. Well, uh, really interesting uh, comments on the nuclear umbrella. You know, we had Evo Dalder on the show not too long ago to talk all about uh, this uh, issue in Korea. Um, and I think he, what you're saying dovetails with a lot of his expert commentary. The, the, let me just dive down on one uh, question. I'm going to go to Sue and Victor. Then you've got this nuclear umbrella question. You've got obviously a piece of that is the conventional uh, armaments uh, forces, um, as well as missile defense. Where does OPCON uh, fit into this uh, question, uh, uh, Professor Kim? OPCON, uh, you mean the wartime OPCON transfer, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, Sorry, it's my DOD uh, background. Uh, I just throw out acronyms left and right. Apologies. I understand. But the candidate use position is that, uh, you know, OPCON uh, should be transferred uh, when uh, those conditions are met. Okay, but one of them is uh, the, the, uh, the environment related to um, the North Korean nuclear district, right? So how uh, South Korea uh, will be able to come up with uh, a certain preparedness uh, to cope with uh, this rapidly deteriorating uh, strategic environment. Uh, I think that this requires uh, not just uh, the, the single effort on the part of uh, South Korea, uh, it uh, requires a really coordinated kind of uh, effort uh, to uh, bring that kind of a condition met uh, you know, sooner or later. So that is uh, uh, going to be fit into those extended uh, nuclear deterrents uh, quite well uh, when uh, South Korea is making uh, real efforts uh, to uh, strengthen our combined kind of a military posture on the one hand and also uh, strengthen our own kind of independent uh, military capability, uh, so-called the three-axis uh, you know, system. You know, uh, keel chain, uh, KAMD, and the KMPR massive kind of a retaliation system. So, uh, by looking at uh, both of them, uh, we uh, will be able to uh, aim at uh, the real appropriate timing of open transfer in the future. All right. Thanks, Professor Kim. Really appreciate the intervention there. Dr. Terry, to prevent Dr. Chaw from stealing your notes, I see him. He keeps looking over your shoulder to try to, uh, you know, get your, uh, your your paper, the comments on your paper. I'm going to go to you next, and uh, your your comments here. So on alliance issues, I I mean I do think alliance, of course, um, I think it's in pretty good space. Um, I know there's a lot of coordination, a lot of transparency, but the three challenges are. And of course, we need to upgrade and expand our alliance relationship. But I think three challenges are North Korea peace, China peace, and then sort of the Korea-Japan peace, uh, right? At least in terms of foreign policy. And on North Korea peace, um, I do think there has been a lot of communication between Washington and Seoul. I know the Biden administration is very good about um, close, trying to closely coordinate, and, and there's a lot of transparency. But I think ultimately, 
I, I'm not 100% convinced that they're on the same page, right, Seoul and Washington, in terms of how to deal with North Korea. Um, so, you know, this peace declaration is an example. They've been working on months on this so-called peace declaration, and I'm not convinced that the Biden administration really wanted to do this. It was more about alliance management from the Biden administration's perspective. And I think we're going to run out of time on that. Um, so the important piece is that, as I talked about it before, you need to be in lockstep. For, to deal with North Korea, you need to be in lockstep with one another. And there's no magical solution when it comes to, to North Korea. It's about shoring up deterrence, defense, and implementing sanctions. And we know this. So in that regard, I, I mean, the whole nuclear umbrella, missile defense, you know, military capability uh, that Professor Kim talked about, um, that all is in line with this and it makes sense to me. On the China piece, uh, we just talked about that. Uh, but it's really interesting because before uh, we talked about it on the show, um, Ambassador Lippert, about you know the public opinion in Korea, how it has been changing, and that poll that we kept citing about how some 58% of South Koreans now even even say South China was evil. That's really interesting. Um, but we, I do think it'll be you know where South Korea goes between this whole U.S.-China piece. I know they've always tried to walk this fine line, but can they really maintain that? Um, you know, that, that would be interesting. And the last piece, of course, is the Korea-Japan relations. And there, I mean, we, we will probably talk a little bit more about this, but we hope that with at least new president coming in, there's an opportunity to press that reset button. And that, in terms of alliance relationship, that piece has to be resolved too, right? Okay, thanks, Sue. Can I just, I'm gonna follow up one, uh, on, with you on one question. Um, and it goes a little something like this. Uh, at times, even the closest of allies disagree uh, in terms of their approach on certain issues. And I mean, you and Victor disagree from time to time. Um, and uh, so the question is, if, if a new South Korean government comes in, uh, either either candidate wins and there's some friction, um, how A, do you manage that friction and B, how do you ensure that you try to minimize or at least um, tamp down on that disagreement in order to effectuate the best policy towards North Korea? Uh, on North Korea, I, I think, you know, I think the Biden administration is doing a good job in the sense that even, I do think there's a difference right now. This is why I bring up the peace declaration uh, as an example, but we are hearing each other out, right? And there's a, a very, I know that at least the team has gone out to sort of multiple times and there's a lot of trying to co closely coordinate. So there's no, you know, sort of something that's coming out of left wall that, that you know, and catch people by surprise. And I don't want to necessarily be critical of the Trump administration right now. But for example, when, you know, President Trump canceled the joint exercises without consulting South Korea. Um, something like that had, can be avoided by, is like, fine, if you're gonna go on different paths, you have different perspective on how to achieve certain goals, um, but you have to let each other know in advance and closely coordinate, and there's no surprises um, if you are that close, uh, you're, because you're close allies. So I think that's the most important piece. Of course there's gonna be different perspective and different opinions on how to approach things. Okay, great. Thanks, Sue, for the intervention there. Dr. Cha, to you, then I'm going to come back to Dr. Kim. Um, so let me just make um, three, three quick points. And, and one of them, I'm just going to step back a little bit. And it's in response, Mark, to your question about surprise or disagreement. And I think the interesting thing about the way the UN camp has dealt with foreign policy is that 
they have signaled pr pretty clearly a degree of predictability in terms of their views, both in the region and with regard to the alliance and with regard to North Korea. Now, predictability in policy is not a bad thing, right? Um, and, but the, but the, what undergirds this predictability are two things. The, the first is, um, as we were talking before we came on air, they, there was another debate tonight, which I, I haven't had the chance to see it, but um, um, I remember one of, the, one of the first statements by the Yun camp, and rather than speaking about specific policies, uh, 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 candidate Yun came out and said, this is what I believe in, right? I believe in democracy. I be believe in liberal political values. I believe in the liberal international order. He sort of set out the compass of where their policy goes without explaining necessarily the policy specifics. I think that's really important. So that from a US perspective, we may not know what the policy is, but we know where they stand, right? We know what, what, what drives them. It's not just knee-jerk political reactions. It's, they have like a view. Or, or, or as Sue said, principled behavior, right? That's what we're seeing from signaled in the foreign affairs piece. The second is that it seems pretty clear to me that the views that they've laid out, again, are not views that are, that are provided by political consultants, but they're being provided by experts, right? Experts like Kim Sung-han, right? Who really know the issues. And so when you have that combination of these are our values, this is where we stand, and our view is going to be informed by experts who know the issue. This is why you get sort of confidence in, in things that are difficult, like OPCON transition, or confidence in things that are difficult, like the whole question of, of extended nuclear deterrence. So I think there, there's an approach here that um, leads one to believe that the positions that the candidate states on the issue have been well thought out and informed by experts, right? And that, from a US perspective, that's a good thing to see. All right, thanks, uh, Victor, for that, that those comments. Uh, Professor Kim, floor is yours. Uh, you know, Victor, thanks for uh, raising uh, the question of uh, the, the, the strategic, uh, you know, actually predictability uh, versus strategic ambiguity. Actually, uh, the candidate Yun uh, likes uh, predictable uh, diplomacy rather than, you know, hanging around uh, you know, the, the strategic uh, ambiguity, particularly in dealing with uh, North Korea, uh, as well as in maintaining our constructive relationship with China too. Uh, what we can do uh, versus what we cannot do vis-a-vis uh, -vis North Korea. Uh, I think, uh, you know, current administration of uh, ROK has been uh, extremely ambiguous about what we can do, what we cannot do uh, in, in uh, negotiating with uh, North Korea. For example, you know, the ROC-US alliance, uh, that's the red line, right? And uh, even uh, Sumi uh, mentioned the suspension of uh, ROC-US alliance, that is a little bit possible, but uh, termination of uh, ROK-US joint exercise, military exercise, that is uh, not what we can do, okay? Uh, with uh, China, uh, we are kind of a mutually beneficial, mutually uh, respected kind of a relationship. Uh, that is what uh, candidate Yud has uh, pledged, uh, you know, on his platform. Um, 
But uh, as we had already, uh, you know, experienced uh, through the deployment of that, uh, when North Korea is threatening our security, uh, we have kind of a sovereign right uh, to, uh, you know, come up with a certain measures uh, to defend uh, our people's uh, lives uh, and 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 uh, assets, right? So uh, that was uh, one way of uh, you know doing this. Uh, this is a sovereign right. Uh, uh, if uh, you know China, you know takes it uh, as uh, kind of a uh, threat to their own uh, security. Uh, that is uh, uh, likely to create uh, a lot, a, a lot of uh, you know frictions and even tensions. So, for a constructive relationship, we need to uh, clarify. Uh, we need to uh, increase our predictability. Uh, otherwise, in the name of uh, strategic ambiguity, uh, we are very likely to uh, get our relationship worsened and worsened. So that was the key. Uh, he want candidate you want uh, to uh, to emphasize. Yeah. All right, thanks, Professor Kim. Uh, uh, we're almost out of time here. What I would say is, I think we've surfaced some really interesting concepts in this discussion here: strategic ambiguity versus predictability, sovereign right, spheres of influence. Uh, very interesting stuff. Too bad we're, we we got to run, but let's let's uh, just. Everybody gets, uh, I'm going to give everybody about 15 seconds to take us out here. I'm going to go to uh, Sue first, Victor, then Professor Kim, and then we're going to close it out. Sue, final comment from you. No, um, I don't have anything more to add. I, this was really enlightening. I, I, I didn't think about it quite that way, but I think Victor is right about certain sense of predictability and knowing that I think is key for Alliance. And I'll just lastly say, I'm sorry that we didn't get to address very uh, important breaking news uh, in the Korean Peninsula, that Hyunbin and Son Jin are going to get married. They're the <laughs> two stars of crash landing on you. Um, that's talking about inter-Korean recon reconciliation. But at least I brought it up. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. All right. That's great. And, you know, Sue, I'm going to come back to an old, old, old one. But on the U.S. side, I'm just curious about are, any more John Hamm sightings. You know, that's a, you know, Dennis McDonough, John Hamm episode. Anyway. All right, Sue. Great stuff. Uh, Victor, quick final comments from you. Uh, so, yes. So this is the equivalent of Brad and Angelina. So hopefully uh, their, their marriage will last longer than Brad and Angelina's. Um, but um, I just want to go back to the point that Sanghan made about moving away from ambiguity and moving towards predictability. You know, that, that is, I mean, I think that's a very important point because as we talked about in the, um, the Alliance Commission report that Mark, you and Sue and John Henry, Joe and I all participated in, strategic ambiguity does not benefit Korea, South Korea, it doesn't benefit the United States, and it doesn't benefit China. Right in the end, um, having predictability may be something that the Chinese will resist and not li not like, but they will know where Korea stands, as will the United States, um, and and that sort of predictability is important and is good for South Korea too. Okay, final word to Professor Kim. I hope uh, candidate uh, Yoon uh, wins uh, in the upcoming elections. 
Uh, and uh, I hope uh, we will be able to uh, open the door uh, for the future together. If possible, I, I hope uh, we can open the door uh, for the future uh, together with Japan uh, on the condition that uh, Japan-Korea, Japan-Korea uh, relations uh, will be normalized uh, anytime soon. Thank you. All right. With that, with that note of optimism on uh, Seoul-Tokyo relations, uh, I'm going to bring the gavel down. I, I agree. I think there's a window that's opening between uh, Seoul and Tokyo and the U.S. Uh, it's coming soon, uh, this spring, maybe this summer. So very, very interested there. And I'll just say thanks to everyone. Uh, it's clear the three of you all go back decades. I feel like the odd person out, but I did my best to uh, navigate this complicated relationship here uh, between this great triumvirate. So uh, thanks for all of the fantastic insights. We learned a ton, surfaced some great uh, concepts here. And win, lose, or draw, Professor, we're going to have to have you back because you were fantastic. Uh, so with that, uh, we have, I think, uh, in, in two weeks, our next guest is Crystal Corso, the U.S. Embassy's Charge Affair. Pretty interesting stuff there. And uh, we will see everybody in two weeks. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.